Good evening, everyone.、Uh, why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for sending your Son Jesus Christ to die for us, and we thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit which guides us into all truth. Father, may we not resist the Spirit, Lord, but be led by the Spirit、um, tonight as we go through your Word. Help us, Father, to this end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.、Uh, tonight's message is entitled "Escape from the Dark Empire." Escape from the Dark Empire. Now, I just want to warn you ahead of time that there is a quiz coming up. There is a quiz coming up, so I want you to be paying very close attention, especially as we get into these、uh, first few slides. Now, we have been discussing the sanctuary subject for the last、uh, couple of nights, and again, I want to let everyone know, those of you who it's your first night here,、um, it, it gets difficult to continue to recap. So, I'm not going to recap. As I did last night, but the tapes are behind, are, are back in the foyer, and they are available.、Uh, I also want to encourage you that.、Uh, how many of you take notes here?、Mm. All right, pretty good, pretty good. I was going to encourage you to do that, and brothers and sisters, you need to do that because you need to check everything out that I say. Amen. 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 So it's good that you have your, your your pens and paper because we are going to be having a short quiz. In a little while, escape from the dark empire. I'd like to start off by explaining to you a very significant day in the Hebrew year or the Jewish year、uh, in the Old Testament. There were several ceremonial feasts in the Jewish year, and one of these feasts was perhaps the most、uh, awesome feast. It was called the Day of Atonement. What everyone the Day of Atonement. This was a very special day, but in order to understand this day, we're going to take a look at what、uh, the sanctuary, the purpose the sanctuary served during the entire Jewish year. Now, God told Moses, "Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them," and this sanctuary served a particular purpose. Now, let's go ahead and begin. We're just going to be looking at a couple of pictures here. We're gonna use.、Uh, can I get a volunteer? Just you don't have to come up here. I just need your name. All right. What's your name? What is it? <laughs> All right. Woo. Arang. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have done that. No. Okay.、Uh, we're gonna give Arang. We're gonna give her another name right for right now, just to. Make things a little bit easier. Beautiful name. I like to bring in that Arenga. Is that was that? All right. We're gonna give her the name of、uh, let's see, Jessica. How's that sound? That's nice and simple, Jessica. Okay. <laughs> Jessica is a Hebrew、uh, living in the time of the wilderness, and Jessica has a problem. She just did something that wasn't very nice, and nobody knows about it. But she wants forgiveness, so. Jessica gets one of her favorite little lambs. That's what she has to do in order to to get forgiveness. Jessica gets her little lamb and gives it to Dad, and she tells Dad, "You know, I I, I did something I need forgiveness for." And、uh, maybe Dad gets it out of her. We don't know. But anyway, Dad comes to the sanctuary with that lamb, and Dad has to do something that's that would seem to be、uh, just really cruel. Dad has to take a knife. And slit that lamb's throat. Okay. Once the the throat of the lamb is slit, let me go back a little bit. Dad actually has to put his hands upon the head of that lamb, and when he puts his hands upon the head of that lamb, he begins to confess his sins and the sins of his family. What's going on here? His sins are being what transferred. To the lamb. So once these sins are transferred, who is now the guilty party? The lamb. Once this lamb has become the guilty party, then Dad was to take a knife and slit the lamb, the throat of the lamb, and the blood would just come out, and he would have to catch that 
that blood in that bowl. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is what? Death. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So brothers and sisters, that lamb symbolized who? Jesus Christ. Our sin killed Jesus. We got to go free when we confess our sins. We get to go free, but Jesus bore the penalty for our sins. Now, once this was done, that's, that blood was taken into the sanctuary. I don't have my good pointer on me today. I don't know what I did with it, but um, just bear with me. This, the, uh, the priest would take that blood into the, into the, uh, or up to the altar of sacrifice. That's what that was called. And he would sprinkle blood upon that altar. Now, what was happening? Watch what's happening here. The sin begins... Dad confesses the sin of his family. He confesses it over the head of the lamb. What happens to those sins? They are what? Transferred to the lamb. Now the lamb's throat is cut and the blood comes out. Where is that sin now? It's in the what? It's in the blood. The priest takes that sin or that blood up to the altar of sacrifice. And what does he do? He sprinkles it on the, or he puts it on the altar of sacrifice. What is happening to the sanctuary day by day is that the blood which contains the sin or the record of sin is being placed upon the what? Upon the altar. So now there is a record of sins found where? In the, in the sanctuary. Now for some people, the priest would take the blood all the way into the tent. He wouldn't sprinkle it upon the altar. But he would take it into the tent if it was a king or, a, or a, another priest. He would take it into the tent, into the holy place, and he would sprinkle the blood uh, upon the, the veil or before the altar of incense. So here you had two records, one on the altar of sacrifice and one on the altar of incense. Well, this happened Day after day, people would come, they would take their animals, they would confess their sins, and day after day, blood is piling up, so to speak, on these altars. Now, the people went away forgiven of their sins. They were totally free, but there was still a what? A a record of sins in the sanctuary. Now, on the Day of Atonement... This was the day that the high priest, the only day in the Jewish year that the high priest could go into what was called the most holy place. This was called the day of atonement. One day out of the year, the priest could go into this, the holy place every day of the year, but only one day of the year did he go into the most holy place. This was known among the Jewish people as a day of judgment. On this day, the priest went into the holy place and he would sprinkle blood upon the Ark of the Covenant upon which there were the two covering angels called what? Cherubs. Very good. And the presence of God. Now this day was so awesome because on this day, God's glory descended into the holy place and the high priest would go in and the 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 Jews would actually tie a rope around the high priest's leg. And he would go in and he would have bells upon him. And if he was not clean of all sins, guess what happened when he stepped into the presence of God? He died. And if they heard that the bells had stopped moving, they knew that the priest was not clean. Wow. And they would just pull the priest out. <laughs> Because they couldn't go in. So this was a very, this was, an, this was a, a, a heart-trembling day, brothers and sisters. Listen to what the Bible says here. Well, let me give you a little illustration here. <clears throat> this day of atonement is the day that the sanctuary was to be cleansed. You can read that in Leviticus 16. The sanctuary was to be cleansed on this day. Cleansed from what, let me ask you? Cleansed from the record of sins. So, every day... The, the altar of sacrifice, there's a bird's eye view of the sanctuary. The altar of sacrifice had blood put on it. The altar of incense had blood put on it. But one day out of the year, the day of atonement, which was towards the end of the year, the high priest on that day went into the most holy place 
to sprinkle blood upon the Ark of the Covenant the law in which the law had been broken because sin is transgression of the law. The law of self-sacrificing love. So the priest would go in. Let me see if I can explain to you like this. Um, every day we put out, we throw garbage into our garbage pails in the kitchen, right? Every day you dump garbage, you know, milk boxes or whatever it is, you dump the garbage in there. And um, every day you probably take that garbage out and put it where? To the side of your house. Now question, is your kitchen clean once you put the garbage in that garbage pail? Uh, think about it. Yeah, your kitchen is clean. I mean, you've got everything. You've, you've moved all the stuff off the tray. You've dumped all the old food. Your kitchen is now clean, right? But the garbage is still what? It's still there. Well, every day you take that garbage and you put it to the side of the house. Now, is the garbage gone? Technically what? Yes, but it's still what? It's still there. It's out of your house now. Yes, we're free from the garbage. Amen? But it's still at the side of the house. Now, once a week, what happens? That garbage truck comes around and takes that garbage all the way out to that dump where you never have to think about it again. Amen? Well, brothers and sisters, the sanctuary revealed that sin works the same way. Every day, they would, uh, you know, get their, confess their sins, and they would be piling up. They walked away free, but there was still a what? There was still a record. Well, on the Day of Atonement, that was the garbage truck day. Is that okay? Yeah. That was the garbage truck day. That was the day where the entire sanctuary was cleansed of all the sins that had been placed there during the year. Now let's look at a couple of texts. The Bible says here in Leviticus 16, 34, And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their what? Sins once a year. You go, well, wait a minute. Didn't, weren't their sins atoned for once they confessed it over the head of the Lamb? What do you think? Yes or no? In a sense, yes. But in a sense... No. Yes, they walked away free, but there was still a record. Let me ask you, when, when we confess our sins, do we walk away free? Yes. But it's still, still existent in this world? Yes. Has Christ gotten rid of all sin yet? No. We see that that's evident in the world we live in. Now let's look at another text. Bible says here, for on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to do what? Cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. Same day, Leviticus 16.30, the day of atonement. Here's another verse. The Bible says, and he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins, so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. So in other words, the very... Thank you, Stuart. Amen. Stuart, is this yours? What a guy. All right. Every day, or rather, where was I? Okay, the holy place, there we go. The holy place had to be cleansed from all the sins that were placed there during the year. Remember, there's a quiz coming up. The high priest was to make an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, Leviticus 16.20. Now, let me explain something else about this day. On this day of atonement, all the people were to be gathered around the tent and they were to be confessing their sins. They were to be doing what? Confessing their sins. They were to make sure that not only had all their sins during the year been, uh, been confessed upon the head of the lamb and thus transferred to the sanctuary, but they had to make sure that their hearts were right, right there and then. So they had to be there, you know, around the sanctuary while the high priest 
had gone in to make the final atonement for the year. Question, what do you think the final atonement for the year symbolized? Because remember, the sanctuary was just a little model of how God plans to rid the universe of sin. What do you think the final reconciliation, the end of the final wiping away of the records of sin, what could that possibly signify? The end of the world. You're right. I'm hearing good answers. When Jesus finally does away with all evil, this represents, brothers and sisters, that great, the end of that great day of judgment where all receive their rewards. Okay? So when the priest was to make, now read that with me. The priest was to make a what? An end of reconciling the holy place. So was there an end to the process of reconciliation? Yes. Now, I want you to notice what happened at the end of the process of reconciliation. Leviticus 23, 29, and 30, still speaking about the Day of Atonement. For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day. And it simply means that they were just like, ah, you know, Day of Atonement, who cares? So what? I'm just going to go hang out somewhere else. That's what it meant. If they were not found humbling themselves, searching their hearts, saying, Lord, please, is there anything wrong that I have not confessed? Lord, search my heart. Am I right with you? If they were not afflicted in that same day, afflicting their souls, he shall be what? Cut off from among his people. And whatsoever soul it be that doeth any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. It was a holy day. It was a day in which God wiped clean the record of sins and when the high priest came out of the sanctuary what happened? If the person was not found prepared what happened to him? He was what? Cut off. Now let me hear you say that together. He was cut off. Very good. Now just a few days after that feast there was another feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. And in Leviticus 23, verse 40, it says, You shall take you on the first day the bowls of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the bowls of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. This was the happiest feast in all in, during the, the, uh, the Jewish year. Why? Because the day of atonement had what? Had passed, and they had received, or their records of sin were all wiped away, and they could rejoice. Question, what do you think this holy day might be symbolic of? That's right. When we all get to heaven, what a day of... Where is it? There, What a day of rejoicing that will be. So before we get to heaven, the Bible says there's going to be a judgment. And we're going to see that, not tonight's message, but we will see that soon. But the sanctuary already tells us that that's how it is. Do you see how understanding the sanctuary can help you to understand other things that you may not have understood before? All right. Let's go to our test because you're, you're really going to see this point in a moment. All right. We're not ready for our test yet. I want you to notice three more things. We're recapping here. The high priest cleanses the sanctuary of all the sins placed there during the year. That was what the Day of Atonement was about. Also, when the high priest came out of the sanctuary, it signified an an end of the what? Reconciliation process. Those not prepared or negligent were what? Cut off. Question, what if they said, you know what, I'll take care of stuff uh, after the Day of Atonement. To what? Too late. Once the high priest came out of the sanctuary, if they were not prepared, it was too late. Say it together with me. It was too late. Notice Hebrews 2.17. The Bible says here, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Who are we talking about here? Jesus, he's our high priest. It says to do what? Make reconciliation for his, for the sins of the people. What is Jesus doing right now in the sanctuary? He is what? He is making 
reconciliation for the sins of his people. Every time you sin, do you need someone to intercede for you? We sure do. When we confess our sins over Christ, he is in the heavenly sanctuary doing what? Making reconciliation. Now, according to the Bible, is there an end of the reconciliation process? Yes, and that only makes sense. All right, you guys are doing very good. But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and cows, but by his own blood, he did what? Entered in how many times? Once into the where? Holy place. Hebrews 9.11. When Christ died, the Bible says he entered in once into the sanctuary. Now, if Christ enters in once, how many times can he come out? Now, let me ask you, does that make sense to you? I mean, is that logical? If Christ enters in once, he can only come what? Out once. Very good. Now, the Bible says, Jesus, if I go, Jesus says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will do what? Come again. Now, what's Jesus saying here? When I go to heaven, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then when I leave, where am I, where am I going? I'm coming where? I'm coming back here again and receive you unto myself that where I am, where is Jesus? In heaven, there you may be also. So Jesus is coming again when he leaves the where? Sanctuary, he's doing what? Coming again to do what? Take us back that where he is, there we may be also. So Christ was offered once, once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. What does it mean the second time? When was the first time? When he died at the cross. That's when he, when he came to earth. And so the Bible says he ascended and went into the heavenly sanctuary how many times? Once. And if he enters once, he's coming out what? Once, and when he comes out that time, he's coming back to receive us the second time. Now we are ready for our quiz. How many times will Jesus leave the heavenly sanctuary? Now, is that a right answer or is it a wrong answer? And you're sure about that? I mean, you wouldn't back out on that if... Somebody stepped on your toe and said, I will keep doing this if you don't change your mind. You, you stick to that. Okay, very good. Number two, when he leaves the sanctuary, what is finished? Reconcile. Is that true or false? And you're sure about that? If I was a Hebrew scholar that, that said that is not true, if I was a, you know, Ph. DH, LH, and every other H you can think of. And I said, now listen, that, uh, would you listen to me? No, because the Bible tells us, because we are understanding the sanctuary, the Bible tells us through the sanctuary that there was an end of the reconciliation process. It also tells us Jesus went into the sanctuary once. He's coming out once, okay? Number three, when he leaves the sanctuary, where is he going? You guys are doing excellent. Number four, what will happen to those unprepared when Jesus leaves the sanctuary? Okay. And welcome to the message for tonight. End time WMDs. Now, if you want to know what a WMD is, you see it up there. It is a weapon of mass deception. A weapon of mass deception. And brothers and sisters, let me, let me just say to you tonight, if you disagree with, with what I have to say, will you still love me? I didn't sound convincing. Didn't sound convincing. Will you still love me? Amen. Because I will still love you. But brothers and sisters, God has given us the sanctuary, as we learned, to help us discern between truth and what? 
error. And as we have seen, Satan will do whatever he possibly can to get us to believe a lie. And he will popularize it to the extent that we might end up saying, well, man, if everybody believes it, it, poss- it just possibly couldn't be what? Wrong. In fact, the main man who teaches us has a PHLH, MH, and all the other H's you can think of. How could he be wrong? How could they be wrong? Well, brothers and sisters, our guide is the Bible. Amen? Amen. And the Bible says God's way is in the sanctuary. So if we want to know what way is the correct way, all we need to do is look at the sanctuary. If it doesn't pass the test of the sanctuary, it is not true. Let's take a look at the concept of the secret rapture. And I don't know if you realize I you know, kind of cheated tonight. I got you to say some things already. I got you to come to the conclusion. We could actually end the study now and I don't even need to go through the rest of this. You know, I mean, it's pretty simple, you know, but just for the sake, we're just going to, you know, spend the rest of our time looking at this. Let me explain to you what the secret rapture teaches. One, it teaches a two phase coming of Christ seven years apart. The first is invisible and inaudible. The second is visible and audible. It teaches that those unprepared are left behind to face, and I have seven years of tribulation, that's actually wrong, three and a half years of tribulation. Three and a half years of tribulation. There's supposed to be a seven year, Christ comes back, he takes his saints that are ready, he goes back to heaven, they have, those who are left behind, have seven years to get themselves right with God so that when he comes back, when Jesus comes back at the end of the seven years, they'll be ready. Do you see the importance of understanding the sanctuary? Oh man, you guys are quiet on me now. Do you see the importance of understanding that God says, I've given you my sanctuary to keep you from being deceived in the last days? Listen, it also goes on to say that those who are ready for Christ disappear and escape the great Tribulation. Just to give you a a graph of this, secret invisible return, that's at the beginning of the seven years. Time of trouble, three and a half years. Uh, In the middle of the seven years, the time of trouble begins then. And then you have the visible return of Christ. So secret and invisible, time of trouble begins three and a half years later. Visible return, three and a half years later. Now, the question we want to ask ourselves today is, does the Bible teach a two-phase return of Jesus. In other words, does the Bible anywhere say that Jesus is coming? Are there two second comings? The question is illogical. You understand what I'm saying? There can't be two second comings. So let's just run through a couple of these verses very quickly. One or two comings. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy Coming, singular or plural? Singular. And of the end of the world. In other words, in the disciples' mind, at least from this text, they only knew of one coming. All right? Jesus says, for as the lightning coming out of the east, excuse me, as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also... The coming of the Son of Man be, Matthew 24, 7. Here's another one. So that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please excuse me for the uh, repetition, but repetition deepens the impression. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards they that are his at his coming. For yourselves know perfectly that the days of the Lord. The day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. What else? But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. 2 Peter 3.10 Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we can read the Bible all through the New Testament and we will not find anywhere that the Bible teaches a two-phase coming of Christ. It is one day, one coming. No man knows the 
day or the hour. It is a specific event, brothers and sisters. Be also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Draweth nigh. Now, think about this seven-year theory for a moment. Jesus says, no man knows the what? Day nor the hour. Now, let's say that I thought that I was a good Christian, but the rapture happens to take place and I get left behind. Now, I know my Bible and I believe in the rapture. Guess what I'm going to do? Well, wow, today is September 11, 2005. Jesus has been, the rapture has taken place. Hmm. Let's calculate this right now. Three and a half years until the Antichrist comes. And then exactly three and a half years later, what's going to happen? Jesus is going to come again. I would then be able to calculate the very day of the second coming. What do you think? Nope. Not so, brothers and sisters. Let me tell you where the seven-year theory comes from. We're not going to get into this tonight. I just want to read you the verse. It's found in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And it says here, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, one week is how many days? Seven days. Now, in Bible prophecy, you're going to see a rule, that this rule applies all the way through, that, in, that a day equals a year in Bible prophecy. I'm throwing that out to you now, but we will see that as we go along. So one week would actually be what? Seven years. And it says here, in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured out upon the desolate. Now, this verse is taken by many people to teach that the he is who? Well, the he is Christ. But what people teach, some people teach, is that the he is actually Antichrist. Now, let me just, I wasn't going to go into this, but let me do this very quickly. The Bible says he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Do you realize that when Jesus came to this earth, his mission was to confirm a covenant? What was the covenant called? The new covenant. Amen? He was to confirm a new covenant. He came and began his ministry, and exactly three and one and a half years into his ministry, Jesus was what? Crucified. Now, when he was crucified, who can tell me what happened to the veil in the temple? It was rent in two, symbolizing that the sacrifices and the offerings were officially over. Isn't it something else that Satan would take a verse that applies to Jesus Christ and says, no, that's Antichrist. And you wonder, well, for the overspreading of the abomination shall he make it desolate. How many of you remember when Jesus said to the Jews, your house is left unto you what? Desolate. Why? Because they had rejected him. They had chosen abominations because of the overspreading of the abominations that they chose. The temple was left what? Desolate. Even until the consummation. Now, man, I'm really getting ahead of myself here. What does a consummation mean? It, 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 it means the end, even until the, the end or the completion. The end of what? The end of this world. Brothers and sisters, Jesus here in this prophecy is saying that because of the rejection of... You know what? I'm just going to leave that alone. We'll come back to that. 70-week prophecy. We're going to be discussing that Tuesday night. Please be here and we're going to really get into this verse. But suffice it to say that this seven years is not speaking about Antichrist. It's speaking about Jesus Christ. All right. Now, will this coming be visible or invisible? We want to find the verses again. Is there anywhere in the Bible that says Jesus is coming invisibly? All right. Let's see. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man. In heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's pretty simple. How many comings? One. How many times does Jesus leave the sanctuary, brothers and sisters? 
once. So one coming, and when he comes that one time, he's going to appear, and, and they shall see him. Notice again. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Believe it what? Not. Jesus came invisibly. Believe it what? Not. Why? Why does Jesus say believe it not? For, oh boy. For as the what? Lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west. How many of you have ever seen invisible lightning? Nobody? Come on, all you gotta do is look. No, but there's no such thing as invisible lightning. Even so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Notice again. And then they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. The Bible says, So Christ was offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he... What does it mean appear? To be seen. So shall he appear the when? The second time without sin unto salvation. Brothers and sisters, there is one coming of the Lord and we need to be ready for that one coming. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. Revelation 1.7. Now, one more. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the, the what? The dead in who? Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the years, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, here's what I want to say on this. When Jesus comes again the second time, what's going to happen to the dead in Christ? They're going to rise. Now, I want you to notice what that means. When Jesus was resurrected, or died rather, the Bible says, and the graves were opened, and many, what? Bodies of the saints which slept, did what? Arose and came out of the grave after his resurrection, and went into the city, and appeared unto many. Brothers and sisters, every time Jesus resurrected somebody, guess what? You saw that body. Think about it. Lazarus, when he was resurrected, what did the people see? A body. Jesus, when he was resurrected, what did the people see? Can you imagine if they said Jesus was resurrected and they went to the tomb and, and his body was still laying there? They would have said, you disciples are what? Are crazy. But no, he was bodily resurrected. The Calvary saints, bodily resurrected. So when Jesus comes again, the second time, and the dead in Christ <laughs> rise. Do you think that's going to be a secret event? If you're not ready, you may die of a heart attack. <laughs> yes, indeed, brothers and sisters, it's going to be quite a day. What about where the Bible says he's coming like a thief in the night? Notice what it says. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a Thief in the, light, in the night. Now notice what it goes on to say. For when they shall say peace and safety, then what? Sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Brothers and sisters, if a thief comes into your home in the middle of the night, that's a pretty bold thief. Amen? Most thieves will wait until you're gone. The Bible says here that this thief comes in the night. Where are you in the night? You're in your home. So if a thief comes in the night, he most likely has intentions to do more than steal. Now, while it may come as a surprise, you will wake up and realize that someone is in your home. So when it says that a thief comes, that he, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, it will come as an overwhelming surprise to those who are not ready. It's not going to be a, hey, where's Betty Sue? Can't find her. He must have come like a thief in the night. No, brothers and sisters. 
Don't listen to the movies. Our guide is the Bible and the Bible only. Listen to what it says. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now notice this. In the which the heavens shall pass away. Now you think everybody's going to go, hey, have you noticed the heavens have passed away? Something fishy must be going on. No, brothers and sisters, in the which the heavens shall pass away and the elements shall what? Melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't mean to make a joke of this, but I've seen people who have made videos to say, well, if the rapture occurs, and I'm going to make this video so that if you're watching this video, it's because I have been raptured away, and now I'm going to explain to you what's going to happen during the other seven years. According to this Bible text, what's going to happen to that taped video? Or it could be a DVD. What's going to happen to that DVD? Audible or silent? And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Ever heard a silent shout? <laughs> Brothers and sisters, Jesus' shout is going to be a very loud shout. The Bible says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a Shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Brothers and sisters, Jesus' shout will be so loud that it will wake up the dead. Verily I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heaven shall pass away with a what? Great noise. Okay, I hope you are getting the point. Now, are the unprepared left behind? This is the trillion dollar question. Are the unprepared left behind? Good, I like that. Yes, they are. They don't get to go to heaven. Yes, they are left behind. Notice what Matthew 24 verse 40 says. And then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other what? Left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other what? Left. Now, Jesus gives us an example of what it will be like in the day of the Son of Man. He says, look, two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be what? Left. Now, notice he says, as it was in the days of who? Noah. Now, let's see. What was it like in the days of Noah? Well, first of all, nobody cared. Uh, people warned and warned of a coming flood. And they said, you know what? Uh, I've got too many things to do. Nobody else is getting on this ark. Hey, look around. You know, the same thing is happening today, brothers and sisters. What are the young persons following Jesus right now? None of my friends care about Jesus. Why would I want to get on the ark? If it was so serious, how come more people aren't getting on? If it's true, how come more people don't believe this? Is that what was happening in the, day, in, in the days of Noah? Yes, it was, brothers and sisters. Let me tell you something. Just because a multitude believes something doesn't make it true. Eight people were saved. But listen what happens. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Matthew 24, verse 37. Christ gives us something that we can relate the final day to with or relate the final day with, which is the days of Noah. And listen to what happened in the days of Noah. How many of you know that there was a rapture in the days of Noah? There was a rapture. The word rapture means catching up. Notice this. For as, it, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and did what? took them who? Oh, now, man, what does the word all mean? So, took how many? All away, so shall also the coming of... Is this clear? Oh, man, maybe we need to exercise. All right, everybody, stretch your arms. 
bastards. Is this what Jesus is saying? Is it clear? And the flood was 40 days upon the earth. This is Genesis 7, 17. The flood was 40 days upon the earth and the waters increased and did what? Bear up the ark and it was what? Lifted up above. The, so there, what do you see there? There is your rapture. Now, what happened to those who were left behind? Did they say, well, man, seven more years. Come on. What happened to those left behind, brothers and sisters? Do you think there were some people saying, hey man, listen, don't worry about it. Look, if you see it start to rain, just bang on the door, and then everything, Noah will open up, and then you get in. You think there were people saying that? Yeah. Look, if we, you know, I remember being out in the world, I was not a Christian, and I heard about the rapture thing, the seven-year thing, and I said, you know what, that's good. Because I don't really believe in Jesus, but I tell you what, if I see people start disappearing, then I know I've got seven years, and I'm going to really just straighten up. Now, if I said that, brothers and sisters, let me tell you, there are other people out there in the world who are saying the same thing. And the devil is deceiving millions of people. The days of Noah, the Bible says, and how many? All flesh died that moved upon the earth. All flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle, etc., etc. Everything that was in the dry land died. It also says, likewise also, Jesus speaking, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed some of them. All of them. Why would Jesus use these two examples to tell us what his second coming would be like? To warn us that when the process of reconciliation ends... That's it, brothers and sisters. It's over. Be ready now because when Jesus leaves the heavenly sanctuary, he entered once and he's coming out once. And when he comes out once, it means the reconciliation process is done and those who are not ready are cut off. It would seem to me that this teaching was spawned I'll leave that one alone. Okay. The Bible tells us there, we, we're, not, we're going to skip this verse. You can go ahead and uh, take a note of this. It's uh, Genesis 19, 23 to 25. You can read about Sodom and Gomorrah being overthrown. And by the way, Sodom and Gomorrah were very pleasant cities. And you know, as I think about the society that we're living in today, and as I think about how uh, just rich and increased with goods we are. You know, we don't really sense our need. You know, I've got my nice motorhome. Uh, I've got everything that I need. Why do I really need Jesus? Why do I, what do I really need with Jesus? I'm good the way that I am. I'm a pretty good person. As it was in those days, so it will be in these days. Now, notice Jeremiah. Jeremiah has a vision in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is writing and he says something. He says, I beheld and lo, there was no man and all the birds of the heaven were fled. I beheld and lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness and all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. So when Jesus comes, how many are left on earth? No man, at least no living man. How many of you remember last night's subject? Daniel chapter 2. We saw that this image represented the history of the world until Jesus comes again. Remember what that stone represents? That stone represented who? The second coming of Christ. And I want you to notice, remember what happened when that stone hit the image. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and broke them into what? Pieces like the chaff of the, th of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away that no place was what? Found for them. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus comes again, this planet will be decimated. There will be no one left behind to say, okay, now it's time to face an antichrist, and we're going to look at that in a moment. The worst danger. How many of you would like to be in that picture? 
You know, brothers and sisters, there is a danger in humanity to follow the crowd. There is a danger in humanity to say the majority must be right if they all think one thing. And we can end up being like the blind following the blind. Because, I mean, you look at how big this teaching of the secret rapture is. Okay, show me. What does it say Jesus is coming like a secret again? No verses. Okay, where does it say it's going to be inaudible? No verses. All right, where does it say that it's going to be uh, uh, a two-phase coming? No verses. And let me mention this while I'm here. We're going to give an opportunity for questions. We're going to have a question box in the back. So if you have questions after tonight, we're going to be answering questions Wednesday night for this past week. Wednesday night, we're going to answer questions. And so if you have any questions, you can write them down, put them in the box, and hopefully we'll get to them. What is the worst danger? Here it is. Will Christians be whizzed away before the great tribulation? Will we be snatched away seven years before the tribulation begins and then we're lucky because we get to escape while those who are left behind become the tribulation saints and they have to go through all the bad stuff? How many of you have children? How would you feel if your teacher told you, you know what, I really like Scotty. Um, He doesn't have to take finals. How would you feel if your airplane pilot was exempt from finals? How would you feel if your doctor, the teacher said, I really like you, you know, I mean, those finals, I don't want to give you a hard time. Don't don't take them. How How would you like it if your doctor did not have to take finals? What do you think heaven would be like if God allowed his last day people to enter in without being tested, <laughs> it'd be like earth. <laughs> earth all over again. What are finals for? Finals distinguish between those who have what? Prepared and those who have not, brothers and sisters. Finals prove. How many of you remember the story of Daniel, Sh- oh, I'm sorry, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember those three guys that uh, they were brought before this image and said, bow down before the image or we are going to um, kill you. And what did Jesus do at that point in time? Well, what did they do? They said, we love God so much. The law of self-sacrificing love is so in our hearts that you can kill us. It's okay. We're not bowing down. What did you say? Let, let, let me clear your ears out. They didn't say that. But listen carefully. We're not bowing down. And they said, okay, take them and throw them into the fire. And they said, we love Jesus so much that you can kill us. It doesn't matter. And because the law of self-sacrificing love was so full in them, when they threw those men in the fire, they got so close to the fire that the guys who threw them in died from the, from the heat. But when they threw uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego in, guess who appeared in the fire with them? Jesus. Jesus was in the storm with them. And brothers and sisters, in the final time, Jesus promises to be in the storm with us. He says, I'm going to deliver you. Don't worry about it. I'm going to... Let's look at this here. The Bible says in Acts 14.22 that we must through much what? Tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Does God not love us because we go through tribulation? Because he allows us to go through tribulation? Is that a sign that God must not love us? No, brothers and sisters. Tribulation works patience. Tribulation is like that fiery furnace that brings out our faith. You know, if you look at an Olympic game or a basketball game or something like that, the best players are saved for those final Moments. Why would Christ take some people who have never said, have lived their life saying, oh, I don't care about Jesus, and now they're left behind, and now he's going to use them as, as his star players? 
No, brothers and sisters, God is going to use those who through a consistent life have dedicated themselves to Him themselves to Him, and have said, I will do whatever it takes to serve my Lord Jesus Christ. And in the last day, Satan's going to say, look, I bet you that I can scare them into death. And Jesus is going to say, just like the trial of Job. How many of you remember the story of Job? Satan's going to say, look, if you just give me a chance, I will show you that you cannot have a people who are willing to keep your law. And God's going to say, man, I know these guys so much. Go ahead, except you can't touch them. And brothers and sisters, as the final controversy unfolds and there is a people who stand firm, they don't realize that, you know, God is is a. This conversation is going on between God and the enemy. They don't realize the, the, the crisis is going to be taking place in the last days. But yet they're saying, though he slay me, yet will I what? Serve him. So when the mark of the beast comes, if you don't bow down, you will not be able to buy or sell. We're going to read about that one of these nights. We're going to kill you. If you don't bow down, this is going to happen. All the threats in the world will not be able to move God's people who through the sanctuary have become one with their Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you. It is the worst. What if I told you, uh, you know, hey, um, you knew that you were going to be coming up, you were going to be facing a pretty horrible enemy. And so you began practicing, man, I got to practice. You know, you, you start practicing your fighting skills. And then one day I come along and say, hey, don't worry. You, you, you don't have, he, he's not even, he doesn't even live here anymore. Oh, what do you start doing? Or what do you stop doing? You stop preparing. Oh, because, you know, close call. And one day you're walking down the street and guess who you see? That guy who is now ready to fight you. What has just happened? Because you thought that you were not, that you did not, that you were not going to end up in this fight, you are now what? Unprepared. Let me ask you something. Who would it be like to try to tell you, hey, don't worry about it. Prepare for the, you're not going to be around when the, when the, when the beast comes. Ah, you'll be raptured away. Do you see the deception that Satan is trying to pull over this planet? Over so many people who are thinking, I'm not going to be here. I don't need to worry about it. Brothers and sisters, we have combed the scriptures and we have found not one shred of evidence that those who are left behind are left behind alive. These things have I spoken unto you that ye might have, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have what? Tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know, I always wonder. Do you realize there are people over in third world countries right now, Christians who are being killed? Do you think that they're saying, we're going to escape the great tribulation? Many of them are going through tribulation right now. Does God not love them? Very opposite, brothers and sisters. God does love them. And I've heard people say, well, God is not going to let us go through the tribulation. He loves us too much. Did God love his son, Jesus? Did Did he go through tribulation? Ought we to pick up our cross and be willing that neither death nor tribulation nor famine nor anything else separate us from the love of Jesus? Yes, indeed, brothers and sisters. Listen, and the dragon was angry with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. We're going to explain that in another night. But listen to what they do, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. In the last conflict, brothers and sisters, the war is going to be between the dragon and between those who keep the self sacrificing law of love. Amen? And the question is, what side are you going to be on? We're talking about Revelation Star Wars. There are the stars of evil and there are the stars of good. The stars that are following God and the stars that bow down to Satan's throne. Which star are you going to be? There is a picture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the burning, fiery furnace, and Jesus is there with them. Let's turn in your Bibles. I've got most of my texts up here. We're coming up to a close. Notice Psalms 91. Psalm 91. And brothers and sisters, oh, this is so beautiful. Psalm 91. Psalm 91. Notice what verse 1 says. Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the where? Secret place 
of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome, what? Pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wing shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in the darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. Do you realize that this chapter is a chapter that is explaining the experience of God's people in the great final crisis? This is what he's saying. I'm going to protect you from the pestilence. Notice verse 7. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand. Why? Why are they going to be falling? Seven last plagues. But it shall not come. What? Oh, let's read that again with some excitement, brothers and sisters. It shall not. What? Come nigh thee. Those who give themselves to Christ, though they go through this great tribulation, the plagues will not come near them. It says, only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of who? The wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague. Neither shall any what? Neither shall any what? Plague come near thy dwelling. Brothers and sisters, we're talking about a people who are standing in the last great crisis. Now, here is the point I'm trying to make. He that dwelleth where? Who would like to take a wild guess what the secret place means in the scripture? For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me he shall set me upon a rock brothers and sisters those who have said Lord I'm going to enter into your sanctuary not literally but by faith I'm going to abide under your law of self-sacrificing love those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus are the ones that will be hidden in the time of trouble not from sight but hidden from the plagues it will not come what? near it will not come near Satan says keep them ignorant of the heavenly sanctuary and then tell them that they're not going to be here for the great tribulation and guess what it is it's a trap because now you have no clue about this heavenly sanctuary and now you're thinking well I'll be whizzed away and now you find yourself in the middle of the greatest crisis that the world will ever see and you don't even know how to prepare you are totally unprepared the reconciliation process has ended and you thought you had seven more what? years Christ is our high priest in the heavenly sanctuary the Bible says in Revelation 22 verse 11 and 12 he that is unjust let him be unjust what still and he which is filthy let him be what filthy still and he that is righteous let him be what righteous still and he that is holy let him be holy still and behold I come quickly and my reward is with me to give how many Every man according as his work shall be. So some people don't get their rewards seven years later. No, everybody. Everyone's fate will be decided when Jesus says, I'm coming. And when he says, I'm coming, he says, all right, you holy ones, be holy still. You who are wicked, be wicked still. There's no more chance for any switching. The lines have been drawn. Every decision has been made. That's it. Musical chairs, you remember that? That's what this is, brothers and sisters. When the process is over, it is over. There is no more, there is no second chance. When Christ leaves the heavenly sanctuary, probation has closed. And he leaves how many times? Once. There is no second chance. This is our last slides, brothers and sisters. He that overcometh shall, I, shall inherit all what? Things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. He that does what? Overcomes. What does overcome mean? It means we got to overcome something. 
There's going to be a crisis. He that overcomes shall inherit. Remember that feast of tabernacles? We can rejoice after the reconciliation process has ended and we have entered God. So I want you to rejoice now. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. How many of you want to enter into the joy of the Lord? Amen, brothers and sisters. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Are you ready for Jesus to come? You have an enemy that is seeking to deceive you, to fool you, to trick you and he will do it under a disguise of good he will do it under a disguise of theology of doctrine it doesn't matter are you ready brothers and sisters do you want Jesus by your side are you ready for Jesus to come Athena would you come sing for us